You may notice if you go to a church that's liturgical or traditional like we are, uh, that you always find the Apostles' Creed either comes right before or right after the sermon, and that's very purposeful. It's done that way because the Apostles' Creed, or I'm sorry, the Nicene Creed, is a summation of biblical truth, and you're supposed to test the preacher to see if what he says is true according to God's word. Jesus is way scarier than demons. Our text this morning is Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask your blessing upon us this morning. We pray that you would lead us and guide us in your truth. We pray that we would be struck once again with true fear of the Lord, that we might know you, that we might fear you, that we might believe you, and that we might do your word. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The greatest samurai in history was Miyamoto Musashi. He fought his first duel when he was 12 years old, and he slew an arrogant samurai when he was armed with a sword. Musashi killed the warrior with a cane. Musashi went on to fight 61 duels and was undefeated, using two swords, one in each hand. He was a legendary warrior, a mighty man of valor. Ancient Israel also had its great warriors, men like Gideon, Samson, and David. They were mighty men of valor, which in Hebrew is translated gibor. This morning we'll see the greatest of all gibors, the warrior of whom all old covenant warriors were mere shadows, as the gibor hunts a boar. The gibor hunts a boar. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin in verse 26. Luke chapter 8, verse 26. And it says there, Then they sailed to the country of the Gesserines, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. Now, the context is this. Jesus has just calmed the storm, and of course the disciples were frightened. In fact, they said of Jesus, not simply, who is this, but what is this? They were scared because he had power over the sea. For you see, Jesus is the gibor over the sea. And by the way, the sea is a motif for the nations, the Gentiles. And so it provides a context of what we're looking at here this morning. The Gesserines was part of Gentile territory known as the Decapolis. Deca, ten, Copolis, right? Polis, Deca, ten cities. These were ten cities that had united together. They had Greek authority over them, and they had united together to be ruled by not a Jewish king. They did not want to be ruled by a Jewish king. They did not want to be submitted under Jewish law. Now, traditionally, this region of the Gesserines is part of the tribe of Manasseh. It was within the kingdom of David, Solomon, and the northern kingdom. It's a traditional area inhabited by Jews under Jewish law. And at this time, there's probably a very significant population of Jews here, but they're living under Gentile authority. And what we see here is a man from that city comes and meets Jesus. He's a demon-possessed man. Look at the man. He's torn. He's shattered. He lives among the tombs. Think about what this would be like if you had somebody that lived in the cemetery on the edge of your town. He's going about naked in the cemetery. He's a zombie. He's the walking dead. 
According to Jewish law, coming in contact like that with dead bodies in a constant manner means he's always unclean. He's the walking dead. Verse 28, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. What do we have here? We have in reality a mighty man. We've got a gibor here, but he's a mighty man of death. He's the gibor of doom. Jesus is the mighty man. Now, gibor is the word for mighty man of valor in Hebrew. Now, in the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament was translated into Greek, known as the Septuagint. It's interesting to see how gibor was translated over into the Greek. For example, Gideon, a mighty man of valor. Gideon, who's a gibor in Hebrew, is translated as an iskuras when it comes into the Greek. He's called iskuras ton dunameon. Iskuras ton dunameon. You've heard that word before, right? Dunamis, that's the word for dynamite or power, right? Iskuras ton dunameon in the Greek means he's a mighty man of power or a mighty man of valor. That's how gibor is translated into the Greek. Now, it's interesting. In the same gospel, in Luke chapter 11, you know this very famous parable. Luke chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, the story of the strong man. It says this, when a strong man... Iskuras, that's the equivalent in Greek of Gibor from the Old Testament, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger, Iskurateras, this is an even stronger man, an even more powerful man, we could say he's the mightiest of all Gibors, then he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and he divides his spoil. And it's pretty apparent when Jesus gives that story of the Iskurateras, this mighty, mighty man of valor, that Jesus is that mighty, mighty man, the one who overcomes the other mighty man, who takes him captive and takes away his armor and divides his spoil. And that's what's happening in our story right here this morning. The possessing demons were mighty, and those who sought to shackle them were hopeless. Look at this man. He actually acts like an evil superhero. People try to capture him, and they put chains on him, and they bind him up in shackles, and he tears off his clothes, and he takes the chains, and he breaks them like they're little bitty strings with wax on them, and the people have to run away, and they're frightened of this man. Look what a demon can do inside of a man. Look what a legion of demons can do inside of a man. A legion of the mighty cannot stand before God's gibor. The mighty man of doom in our story here begs for mercy. Going on to verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now, if you were living in Israel in the first century, you would know what a legion is. A legion would be something equivalent to a brigade or a division in our times. 
But we don't often know what that is because many of us haven't served in the military in these days or you're not near, near a military base. But if you lived in first century Israel, you knew what a legion was. There was a legion occupying first century Israel. At the center of that legion, there was the Italian cohort, and you may remember Cornelius was part of that. They were stationed in Caesarea. They marched around the countryside. They guarded the tax collectors. They took bribes. They enforced their will upon you. Everybody knew what a legion was, and a legion is about 6,000 Roman legionnaires. Notice what a legion of demons can do when they're inside of a man. They can turn this fleshy body into a body of power and steel. But notice this as well. There's an abyss. There's an abyss. They're afraid of the abyss. Abusas in the Greek means bottomless pit. And Jesus is talking about this abyss to this demon and this group of demons, and they're afraid. In Revelation chapter 9 and verse 1, it says, Then the fifth angel sounded the trumpet, and I saw a star from heaven which had fallen to the earth, and the key of the bottomless pit, that's a busas there, was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Demons are cast into that pit. There's a mighty angel that has power and authority over that pit. But Jesus has power and authority over that angel who's over the pit. And the demons quake at the presence of Jesus. Verse 32. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. The legion of demons is cast into a herd of pigs. You saw our text this morning from the Revised Common Lectionary, how it ties in pig's flesh as being unclean and how the people of Israel are engaging in these things. When the new covenant comes, it changes everything. But in the old covenant, the people of God are being prepared to see things in stark terms, dead and live, death, resurrection, clean, unclean. Pigs are unclean. What are pigs doing in Israel? What are pigs doing in this region that was traditionally part of the tribal group of Israel and later the kingdom of Solomon and David? What are these pigs doing here? And why did Jesus cast the demons into the pigs? Well, I think we have to ask questions of the narrative. My own personal opinion is there's Jews that are involved in trafficking these pigs, that they're involved in the commerce of the pigs. Perhaps they're even eating pig's flesh. The new covenant hasn't broken in yet. They're breaking God's law. The pigs run into the sea. Remember, the sea is a, a symbol of the nations, of the Gentile hordes out here, restless, always threatening to break in upon Israel and destroy them. Jesus has control over the sea. Jesus casts the demons into the pigs, and the pigs run into the sea. But friends, I believe there's a lot more going on here. I think if you lived in the first century and you were watching this happening or you were reading this for the first time, you would have some interesting symbolic thoughts about this. There's a legion that occupies Israel. We now know from archaeology which legion it was. It was a legio ten fratensis, which means from the straits. 
The Legio Fratensis was the one that was occupying Israel in the first century. It's likely the same legion that Cornelius was one of the top centurions of. They had an Italian cohort that acted as stormtroopers in the middle of it. The rest of it was filled out with Syrian conscripts. Jews didn't have to serve in Rome's legions. Because of their religious views, they were exempted from service. So you've got all these Gentiles in this legion occupying Israel in the first century when the pigs run into the sea. What do you think their banner looks like? This is the banner of the Legio Ten Fertensis. Their symbol is a boar. It's a pig. Jesus is casting the pig into the sea. Israel, occupied by Rome's legions, is possessed by demons and needs to be delivered. Symbolically, Jesus, I believe, in doing this act is foretelling what he's going to do in his ministry as he's engaging in it at that very moment. He's cleansing Israel. He's carrying out exorcism on Israel. Ultimately, he's going to liberate faithful Israel in his death, resurrection, and ascension. Can I hear an amen to that? Now, according to Mark, 2,000 pigs died. That's a huge herd of pigs. I was curious about this. I asked some people that raise pigs, can can you herd pigs? You know, normally they're in styes. Apparently you can. But imagine how many men you'd have to have to control 2,000 pigs. I imagine they probably had some methodology of sort of penning them in on three sides, and that's why you have the sea on the other side. Pigs aren't ordinarily going to run into the sea, but they ran into the sea. Verse 34, when the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Now notice, the herdsmen saw what had happened. Now imagine if you see these different exorcisms that Jesus performs. Sometimes there's a demon and a kid, you know, and he, he causes a demon to come out of the child and it screams and causes a person to fall down and do all kinds of ungodly things. Can you imagine what 2,000 or more demons rushing out of a man must have looked and sounded like? It must have been frightening. And they ran and they told everybody these herdsmen did. And the people heard and they came to see. What did they find? They find Jesus. They find no pigs. The pigs would have sunk to the bottom of the sea. It'll take two or three days for them to bloat up with oxygen and then then the sea's going to be covered with carcasses of thousands of pigs. They find the man clothed and well, and they find no demons. The people were afraid. I want to say this to you, friends. Kids, a lot of times, especially kids ask this question. They'll say, Pastor Craw, have you ever seen anything weird or demonic? Yeah, I've seen some weird stuff. It's kind of cool sometimes talking about scary things, right? And a lot of times Christians get worried, you know, maybe something weird happens in your house or your workplace and we get afraid of demons. I want to say this, friends. You should be more afraid of Jesus. You should be more afraid of Jesus, the Gibor, than demons, for the demons are afraid of our king. Going on to verse 36. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gesserans asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear, so he got into the boat and returned. 
This demon-possessed man was a serious regional danger. Listen to what the other gospels say about this man. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 28, it says, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. Mark chapter 5, verse 5 says, night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Can you imagine what it must have been like there? These aren't big cities. These are like little towns, like, you know, maybe one quarter the size of Wimberley. You've got one road leading through there. You've got the tombs along the side of the road. Can you imagine you live in a town and there's a graveyard and there's a man that lives in there and he's naked? And you can't put chains on him because he breaks the chains. He'll kill you. He's so fierce that he doesn't let anyone pass by. But you've got to pass by. You've got business on that road. And so you, you quietly go along that road hoping that he doesn't show up. And suddenly a head pops up over a tombstone. And a figure starts moving toward you. It's that man. He was a serious regional danger. He was a vampire, a werewolf, and a zombie all wrapped up in one. The people were afraid, but now the people are afraid of Jesus. But instead of having him stay like the disciples stayed with him, they ask him, go, just go from us. We're afraid of you, Jesus. We're afraid of this man, but... Here's this man, he's normal now. What did you do to him? We're afraid of Jesus. Verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. How much has Jesus done for you? You know, the thing that, that passes mention here with these people, and perhaps some of them later as they talk to this man will finally realize the truth of the matter, that Jesus is delivering people from sin and death. That Jesus is engaging in powerful works of love and giving liberation. The people asked Jesus to leave. The formerly demon-possessed man asked to stay with him. The formerly possessed man was from this city. Can you imagine that? He's got friends and family in this city. People that know him. People that knew him before this happened to him. People that had written him off. He's become a monster. Jesus sends him to rejoin his family and his community. Jesus brings resurrection and restoration as he does to all of his people the gibor of death now becomes a gibor of life, preaching what Jesus had done for him among his people. And friends, I want to say this to you. Carry this out with you this day. You too should be preaching what Jesus, the ultimate gibor, has done for you among your people. Let's do that even this week. Many of you all might remember the old Daniel Boone TV show. Its theme song went in part, Daniel Boone was a man, yes, a big man. He was brave, he was fearless, and as tough as a mighty oak tree. Daniel Boone was a larger-than-life figure who performed almost unbelievable feats on the frontier of early America. He once escaped from the Shawnee Indians, running on foot 150 miles in five days to warn frontier settlements of an impending attack. He was the American version of a mighty man of valor, our own Gibor. But Daniel Boone pales in comparison to the true Gibor Jesus, 
who dominates and strikes fear into the hearts of demons. This morning we've seen the Gibor hunts a boar. Soli Deo Gloria, to God alone be the glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your son, the Gibor of Gibors, who came into the world, who came into the world and took insults and death to come to give us life, to set us free from death. We thank you for him. We pray that you would fill our hearts with your Holy Spirit, that we might rejoice in this and share this message, even this week, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.